This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories from people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. In this episode, I'm speaking with Kartik. His love of film developed as a really young boy, and it's amazing to watch his path that led him from leaving his hometown um, of St. Louis and going to DC, being an extra on Forrest Gump, and then making the leap to Paris to study film and become a filmmaker himself. Join me in this really interesting story of someone following their passion and the lessons that he learned along the way. Hello, Kartik, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here, Jane. So let's give the people a little bit of an idea of how we met, which is, well, we've never met. That's <laughs> right. start with that. And uh, we got to know each other a little bit on the Entheos Oasis, which I, I think is where it was my hotbed of collecting podcast people, I guess, is what that turned out to be, because there's so many inspiring people there who have so many great stories that yes. it was just a natural transition of asking people I met there. And yeah, oh, were you going to say something? No, just that it's a terrific uh, platform that, you know, it's it's very different from anything else that I've seen on the web. And it feels, it never feels like a waste of time. It always feels like an investment, you know, when you spend time on that, on that website. Exactly. So. You know, it's for a long time, it was where I sort of filled myself up every day. You know, I just would go out there and there was enough inspired. It wasn't like... Oh, have a great day kind of things. It was people it's about people really authentically sharing what's going on in their lives and and really a lot of good content that I would learn from. That's what I loved about it and I still do. I mean, I still hop on there every so often and just sort of take a big long drink at the oasis, you know? I hear you. So, um what I loved about your story and the things that I learned about you through there was the way that you grew up in uh near Kansas City. And now you're in Paris making films. So I thought, how does that how does that happen? And I wanted to talk with you a little bit about that today and how you followed what I'm assuming really is your passion. Sure. Yes. Say that. Okay. So how did it begin? How did you know? When did you start doing things that led you to where you are today? What was the beginning of that? Um, I think uh, you know I. Growing up, I, I always uh, loved movies uh, and uh, certainly watched a lot of television and movies. <laughs> Didn't we all, right? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, you know, just kind of, uh, especially after school would be a time when uh, my brother and I would be uh, home alone and that would be kind of like our babysitter would be watching uh, sitcoms and uh, what have you. So, um, and you know, the Midwest, you know, both my parents come from India and, um, 
So that's where they ended up uh, getting into to, to school. For my dad, it was graduate school, and so that's how uh, they made the the transition. So my my father immigrated to the United States from India, and then brought my mom along, and so I was born um, about a hundred miles west of Kansas City, mm. um, and um, so. Yeah, there are several steps to get to Paris. <laughs> yeah, I figured it wasn't going to be like, oh, and then I flew to Paris story. So yes. what did your dad go? To, I'm just curious. What did your dad go to graduate school for? I always find that fascinating that people make that big leap and go somewhere to a different country to finish school. Yes. Well, you know, he um, was studying agricultural economics in mm -hmm. India, uh, in Hyderabad, which is uh, in South India. Mm -hmm. And he actually um, went fairly late, you know, most at that time, which was the late 1960s, uh, people were going, you know, like maybe at the age of 18 or 20 or 22, they would go and study abroad. And he actually went to do a master's degree at the age of 29. Oh. And and so, and what he ended up studying uh, at Kansas State University is uh, marketing and finance. And so he he ended up uh, getting two master's degrees while he was there. And then my mother, who had done medical school in India, she um, ended up doing her residency also at at uh, KU, Kansas University. Oh, that's so cool that they were both able to do that there. Yes. Are they yes. still in that area? They are. They okay. are. And so I go back uh, as much as I can. Um, mm -hmm. I was back there in March and I try to get back there once a year if possible and sometimes even more. Well, that's wonderful. What a great story, though. So they really did. Like, I always wonder, like, how do people end up loving the Midwest? Because I grew up in the Midwest all my life and I love aspects of it. But I don't know that I would go like intentionally come here if I were changing my direction. But it sounds like they settled in pretty well there. You know, they love it. And I think even if left with the choice of going and settling uh, either on the East or West Coast or uh, back to India, that they really, uh, the Midwest is perfect for them. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of a level of comfort and security mm -hmm. and kind of just the way that, that, that people are, you know, the there's kind of an easygoing uh, pace also to, yeah, to life in the Midwest. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I do love that. Even when I've gone to the different parts of the country, there is something really lovely and friendly about the Midwest that I do. I would miss. I would miss that a lot. So so then you were going to school there and you were watching TV. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I in high school, I started doing a little bit of theater and uh, then that continued on into uh, university. Also, I, I did. Um, I went to school in Washington, D.C. and uh, and did a little bit of theater there, too, and some acting. So almost got a, a minor in acting, actually. And there's a terrific uh, acting teacher who's still there called Colleen Jennings. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was uh, she was great. And and so. Actually, while I was in Washington, I, I had the opportunity to be on a, a film set. Uh, the movie Forrest Gump was was shooting in Washington, D.C., and uh, so I got to spend a couple days on the set being an extra in a crowd scene. Very fun. Can we see you? What, if I like went back and pulled out my Forrest Gump DVD, would I be able to see you in there? You know, it's a blur. And uh, so I haven't been able to find myself. What I can find is, is that I, the guy who is still a good friend, uh, Greg Hardigan, uh, he was, um, he's, he's tall. And so he, he really stands out and I'm standing next to Greg, but I can't see myself. 
Uh, but uh, what was so special about that was that at that time I had long hair. And so mm-hmm. when, when Forrest Gump came to town, they were looking for people who could uh, realistically look like they were uh, protesting the Vietnam War like hippies, basically. Oh, right. mm-hmm. So although this was the 1990s, um, you know, um, uh, that, that was kind of what they were looking for as okay. people who could um, pull off that look. And so... Um, so I did that, and it was a really uh, special time for me because I got to a little taste of what the magic of movie making was, mm-hmm. uh, and also what kind of the reality of filmmaking is because it was it was very slow. I think that for all the time that we spent, it's maybe you know fifteen or twenty seconds in the movie, you know, but it was mm-hmm. uh, it, it carried on for several days. So. You know, um, just the fact that you were doing so many, so many takes from different angles. Uh And um, for me, you know, I was watching basically uh, Robert Zemeckis with a bullhorn kind of uh, ordering people to do this and that. And also... What was so special and so memorable was uh, watching Tom Hanks. Uh, he, he ends up finding Ginny again and going and fishing her out of the uh, reflecting pool. Oh, so you got to see that live in person? I, I did. Well, listen, I, you know, t- Tom Hanks ran into me, like bumped past me, like probably eight or nine times, you know, during the filming of, of, of that <laughs> thing. But what was so remarkable for me was was watching how that level of focus that that he had, uh-huh. which he was completely dialed in. So although he was surrounded by 150 or 200 people mm-hmm. who, you know, knew knew him, knew that he was a star, maybe wanted to interact with him. He was able to kind of stay uh, within himself. Mm-hmm. And um, so he was polite. He was sort of nodding, but he wasn't chatty. He was just sort of in his zone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, although he didn't have any handlers or anybody around that was kind of protecting him, he created his own bubble around himself in order to uh, take care of himself as an actor, which mm-hmm. is so important in that situation. Well, especially in crowds like that, you know, where it's so wide open. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think even beyond that, you know, that sometimes when when actors uh, are are even in a closed environment, but Mm -hmm. they have the choice between kind of, um, you know, sort of being with themselves or, uh, you know, sort of chatting and having snacks and sort of, um, you know, I guess everybody kind of has their own process for doing it. But if you were the type of person who really needed that quiet and needed that space and you sort of, uh, you know, were to get sucked into other people's conversations or uh, whatever, that that would be something where ultimately the film kind of fails because of you're not being able to sort of not being there and and um, doing doing the work, you know. You know, I never really thought of it that way. That's it, it, you made me think about. You know, I think for for most of this is just a, it's totally a little bit related, but not totally. But um, all, most of my life, I always felt like I had to fill space, right? So if I was around people, I had to talk with them just to you know make them feel comfortable. And, I think we all do. Yeah, yeah. And as 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 I've moved through this transition in my life, I find I finally realized that. It's okay to just be quiet. It's okay to sit in a group and be quiet. It's okay to not have to be the one creating the conversation. And and I'm I'm actually an introvert. People don't believe that because I really, you know, open up to people pretty well, but that's really I need a ton of time in my own head. And um so that's a really good example of where people who are really skilled and focused on their craft, it's because they've learned that. They don't have to be on all the time. You know, they can pull inside and just be in their own head, even in a, in a group. 
That's an interesting correlation. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's, I think that uh, there's a fear that we all have of not being liked by others. And so that kind of is, is something where, you know, uh, part of growing past that is seeing that there's, there, there's real tremendous value in stillness, in kind of being quiet. And, uh, but initially we, we, you know, it's all about pleasing other people, isn't it? Right. You know, pleasing, pleasing our parents, pleasing our teachers and, and that. So, um, but for, for me, that experience of, of being on that set was, um, it was just a taste. It was a really nice taste uh-huh. of, of what right. filmmaking looks like and what it feels like, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so I, I ended up, I did finish my degree, which was in economics. Um, and, um, you know, it was kind of that, that was the thing is that it, it, it felt like that it was the, the logical thing to do just given sort of what my uh, father did, you know, it felt like that it was kind of following in his footsteps by doing something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, I, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't have a problem with economics. I mean, I think that I, I, I had a little bit of aptitude for it, but, uh, it was not something that, uh, yeah, how would I put it? Um, yeah, just not my favorite thing. I think that, that, that also it was one of those fields where it felt like the people were always kind of, um, uh, theorizing a lot, but mm-hmm. that, uh, uh, you know, in, uh, that nobody really knows what's going on in terms of, you know, if, if we did know how, how these things would work, then, then we'd have a much greater hold and handle on, on the economy and we don't, you know, so. Exactly. Well, and it sounds like that some of that does play into the, the type of films that you do as well. Don't you think like that you're looking at, you know, world, the world issues when you're trying to, when you're creating the films that you're doing today. And so that background was probably a great foundation. Like, I think, you know, we, we put so much stress on higher education and on what you go to school for, but really higher education, it can go yeah. in so many different directions. You know, my background is IT, but it's not really anything. I mean, I, I haven't written a stitch of code for years, you know, but it's oh, that's yeah. what I was trained in. Sure, sure. I mean, to me, one of the great things that I, I, I look back on from Washington was was the friends that I made there, mm-hmm. you know. Um and just that it is a city that's so uh, sort of open to international, you know, kind of it's it's the place where all the embassies are. It's mm-hmm. the place where, you know, uh, President Clinton at that time came and spoke to our school. And, and you know, we, we had uh, those kinds of opportunities, which were really special. And, you know, uh, actually, it was through that school that that I studied abroad in Paris. So that was mm-hmm. another link that came through uh, my alma mater, American U. That's, that's amazing. I mean, I, and I think like, like you were lucky at that age to really get such a worldview. And I suppose a lot of it had to do with your parents and the fact that they had come to the United States from a different country and had a wider view. And that's one of the things I love about, uh, even being on Oasis was just getting a wider perspective of how really we're all thinking about the same, the same things. We're all trying to, you know, live a intentional life and be out there, but you're lucky that you had that experience at such a young age to get out there. Very lucky. Absolutely. I, I treasured the, those memories and that exposure at that age. So then you went to school abroad with your universities and that's how, and that's how you fell, found the love of Paris? 
Yes, that's right. I mean, it, it kind of my my French connection goes back a little bit. You know, when I was <laughs> your French at, connection. Okay, go on. <laughs> yes, uh, it doesn't have to do with any heroin. It doesn't have to do with Marseille or Gene Hackman or any of that. But uh, uh, I, you know, when I was my uh, uh, high school. Uh, Pembroke Hill in Kansas City uh, was a, a place where we had the option of language uh, from sixth grade onward. You had to take French, Latin, or Spanish, and I chose French at that time. Mm. And um, so, you know, part of French class was learning things like, you know, if you were in Paris, what monuments would you go and visit and those types of things. And, you know, we ended up watching a lot of films also at that time. And, um, you know, I remember that in that context, I saw uh, Le Ballon Rouge, the red balloon, you know, uh -huh. which was a Oscar winning uh, film that was made. It's a short from the 1950s, um, which is basically the story of a little boy and his friendship with uh, a balloon. Mm -hmm. And it takes place uh, in Paris and particularly in this uh, neighborhood called Montmartre, which uh, is a very picturesque, uh, even today. It's kind of where uh, Amelie was shot, a lot of that. Okay. Uh, so um, just a beautiful area. And it's just kind of, you know, this this uh, balloon sort of starts to take on like human-like qualities so that, so that uh, this boy communicating with this balloon, it comes a very special uh, relationship. And so I saw that and I was definitely impressed by that. And um, so then throughout uh, junior high and middle school and high school, I, I was watching French things. And and um, so then, you know, fast forward uh, five, six years or four or five years. And, um, you know, I had the opportunity to do this study abroad uh, in Paris. And so there were other places in the world that I could choose, but it felt like um, uh, that Paris would be a good fit because, uh, you know, I already had a very small, small, you know, kind of basic foundation in the language mm -hmm. and um, which I realized wasn't much at all because when I. <laughs> when I was arriving with my at my host family's place, you know, like I uh, I realized that, uh, you know, I, you know, I had this first phone call to make just like to, to say, hey, I'm arriving, you know, tomorrow or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I realized that um, I'm horrible on the phone in, in other languages, you know, like especially a language that I don't know very well. Uh -huh. um, and then I also realized that, um, you know, when I'm listening to radio uh, in another language that I don't really pick up much. And it's because, you know, you don't have any uh, physical, like either facial uh, expressions, gestures or hands or anything. And so not having that, it really made it hard for me to understand so. I kind of, you know, it was a, it was sort of a, an aborted call in the middle. I was like, hello, uh, you know, <laughs> demain, uh, so tomorrow, you know, and, uh, and so, but living, living in that family was, was really important for, uh, for, for learning French. And so I spent a semester, um, doing, uh, economics, um, just finishing that that mm -hmm. course but right. so it was still within the framework of american u and of that degree uh, but at that time i was uh just meeting people and seeing what paris had to offer and uh, also seeing just how different the european approach is to the arts you know mm -hmm. and and that was really something that was uh that inspired my choice to to want to stay and and to uh, enroll in school. So um, I, you know, had some some loose ends to tie up, um, and and then returned to Paris. And uh, the returning was in order to start studying film, 
and um, and so that's that's what kind of was really the beginning of of um, of my relationship with Barris and filmmaking. So, what was it that you loved so much about the that particular about filmmaking in Paris that was different from the United States? What was different? Well, you know, at that time, I, I was uh, not filmmaking. I was film watching a lot, you know, and, and I think that that's something that that's a distinction, because for me in my journey, the the really big kind of leap was from being a watcher to being a doer, you know, mm-hmm. um, because uh, so at that time, I was watching a lot of films and just the exposure to great films was uh, uh, was something that I didn't feel was there as much in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, in the United States, you would have like in Kansas City, we have the Tivoli and the Fine Arts Theater. And those are, are places where you would get art house um, and you would get foreign films, uh, you know, and uh, so those were places. But, you know, it was the kind of thing where maybe over the course of a month, you'd maybe get three or four films max, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Paris, you know, the, there's there's so much on offer at any given time, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, for me, seeing films, it became an education just because the French, they love to appreciate and showcase uh, filmmaking from all over the world, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was in Paris that I was able to discover, you know, Japanese film, uh, film from, uh, you know, films from Iran, Mm -hmm. films also from India, films from, uh, you know, the United States, but films that people aren't watching in the United States, you Mm -hmm. know? Uh, so there, there are, um, you know, filmmakers who, whose work is, is barely known in the, in the U S but, you know, who are really, really big, you know, in, in France. So, um, you know, examples of that being, you know, like Woody Allen is much, much greater, uh, you know, sort of appreciated in France than he is in the U.S. And it's the same for a lot of people like Jim Jarmusch or uh, David Lynch, um, you know, just uh, these sort of independent type people that are that, that, you know, and that has to do with the French wanting to sort of find and seek out uh, things that are different and kind of, um, you know, uh, really um, show them and enjoy them, you know, so I I feel like a lot of American independent uh, uh, filmmakers have had a good deal of success in France because of that. And, and in some ways have, have really, um, uh, a lot of their career to thank for, for, you know, uh, you know, the French having come in and even also financially, you know, financing films, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a film like Mulholland drive was a film that, that had a lot of French money, uh, in it, you know, in order to get made. And, um, do you think some of that's changing in the U S though, that they were really cultivating the independent film making and in a greater way now than we used to? Definitely, definitely. You know, uh, the I think that the people with the with the way that people are streaming films and and you know uh, it's that people are always on the lookout to to find new stuff, the stuff that uh, that everybody's not watching. People also like to discover things the same way that it's with uh, it is with music and with independent music. You you know a band that you you discover and you kind of start to to follow. It's it's that same kind of a, a thing. I think that that yeah, much much more than than before. And and you know 
that if you just compare where we are today with with you know where things were in the 1990s i think that you know the united states is a much more diverse place than it was at that time you know and mm-hmm. so so you feel that uh, that there are people who um whose experience is going to be sort of reflected in something um you know maybe different than 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 the films that are coming out of hollywood and also hollywood itself has changed in those over those years you know there are films and and types of film and types of subject matter that are being made now in hollywood that never would have been made uh 20 years ago you know so it's good to see that shift you know to witness that so yes is there a is there a film from when you were like let's say like in high school or or even younger, that was the one that like that particular one is what gave you that 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 kind of like uh, started that inside of you that this is something you may want to do. So there is a, a, a thing that I remember um, is is seeing Gandhi when Gandhi came in in um, you know for the for its Oscar run. And so that was 1981 or 82, I think. Um, And at that time, um, uh, they did a a special screening in Kansas City. And um, it was, uh, uh, you know, just, uh, it was a thing, especially for the Indian community. They asked a lot of the Indian families and then just um, other sort of, sort of invitees to come. And there was a big, uh, you know, buffet afterwards like a meal and they you know we all got these uh, special uh, booklets with um you know and, and buttons and everything so it was like just a preview performance of that or showing of that film and um for me uh i didn't know much about india at that time i had not even visited india yet except as a tiny baby you know and so i to have that exposure but also to see this epic film this three hour and eight minute film uh you know uh, with, uh, Indian faces, uh, Uh, that w that was something that the kind of, uh, like something went off in my, in, in my imagination just Uh because until then I hadn't seen Indian faces on screen because, you know, I was watching, you know, all American films, American content and, and TV shows and things. There weren't Indian actors, uh, doing any acting at that Uh time, you know, today, today a child could turn on the big bang theory or just anything like that. And they could see, you know, um, that there, but, but, you know, in the 1970s and 1980s that there, it just didn't exist. And so, you know, um, I find that, um, you know, this is something that, that a lot of people, uh, you know, kind of talk about. I know that, you know, for example, I was watching this tribute not too long ago with Eddie Murphy, where they were talking about how, you know, when he sort of arrived on the scene on Saturday night live at that, around that same time that, you know, uh, there weren't African-American, you know, comics or people that were doing much. I think that, of course, you know, Richard Pryor was was a really big uh, person in that in that journey. But kind of the way that Eddie Murphy was able to cross over, you know, I think that in a way he, he you know, was accepted more in the mainstream, you know, something like Beverly Hills Cop, which is a film that was really meant yeah. for Sylvester Stallone, it was meant for a white person. It wasn't meant for, you know, the fact that Eddie could get that that role, you know, oh, yes, yes. Um, So, you know, so in in any case, getting back to to Gandhi, you know, for me to see Gandhi, that was a really big light bulb moment. Mm -hmm. And um, then a few years later, when I saw Dead Poet Society, that was also really, Mm -hmm. really big. I really connected a lot Mm -hmm. with that film. Uh, Just also, I was a similar age to the age of those boys in that Mm -hmm. film at that time. And and that was really special. You know, there there sometimes you see 
a film and you know if i if i'd seen dead poet society as a 50 year old person it would have been very different than seeing it at the same age as those boys you yeah, know it's relevant exactly exactly so it really hit me in the same way that you know like if if there's a film about about teenagers now I, you know i might capture something of it but i may not be right there you know right. uh and so i had that really uh, really strong with that film, and and uh, well, and since you brought it up, like what what is a, a film today or this year that you have felt so con- like in the you know at this stage in your life that you've really connected with? Is there one? Uh, sure, sure, sure. I, I would have to think. These are always like th- these are the <laughs> questions that really stump. You know, oh, like uh, okay. Uh, no, I I think um, I. Yeah, I'll tell you one that I just really adore is uh, Inside Lewin Davis. And Inside Inside Lewin Davis was made in 2013. It was, I think, sort of the breakout uh, performance of Oscar uh, Isaac, um, the this actor who's done a lot of films. He's a brilliant uh, actor, and uh, it's the story of a of a folk uh, singer, performer, guitarist who. Uh, performs in the uh, in the village in New York City in 1961. It's a period piece, um, and they did it. It came out in 2013, and it's uh, it's uh, available on DVD or Blu-ray. Um, the Criterion Collection has okay. it if people want to look for it. And um, yeah, it turned out to be one of my favorite films, yeah. even by the Coen Brothers. And the Coen Brothers have made so many great films, you know. Um, and they would be another example of, um, you know, although they are widely loved in the United States and, and all over the world, but they're just adored in France. You know, everybody just can't get enough of them, oh, you know. I did not know that. What is, yeah. so what is, if you had to, now if we talk a little bit about the film work that you've done. So you've done acting and directing and writing correct yep that's right yes uh what's your favorite place to play which of those three oh you know i love to act and there just aren't many opportunities to act um and i i think that writing is very solitary and so sometimes that can be a drag and sometimes that can be great and uh you know i feel that i'm a very streaky writer you know that i i i have periods of time where I'm really locked in and I can really get a lot done. Um, and times where I'm just, that could also be the nature of writing, you know, which is that there, that it's, it's not, we're not robots, you know, and we have times when, uh, um, where, yeah, just, I, I think also times when you need to, um, just be mulling something over without literally turn, you know, churning out pages, um, percolate. Absolutely. Yes. Very very important. And, you know, directing is, uh, is extremely social, uh, extremely social. And what's interesting too, is that it's kind of, you are also by yourself a lot because in, in a way when you are, uh, on set, um, you know, you have the task of everybody's doing their best to, to, to make the best possible film. Um, but at the end of the day, it's kind of, it's up to you to know, uh, if you have gotten the footage that you need and you can move on from a setup or, uh, that, that it's kind of ends up being, um, something where you're surrounded by people and there is a sense of love and camaraderie and, uh, in that collaboration, but also ultimately in terms of, you know, if the film is working or, you know, it's, it kind of comes down to you and that can sometimes also feel a little bit lonely, but, um, you know, I, I really, I love them all. I, I, I really, and, 
And, and I think that, you know, I would be eager in the future, for example, to work with great directors as an actor. Uh-huh. You know, it's, that's that's something that I, I don't uh, do much of that, meaning I don't really go for auditions and things. Um, and, uh, you know, my focus is much more on writing and directing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes it, it could be just something as simple as uh, maybe um, meeting a a filmmaker in a film festival and that filmmaker comes to know that I act and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, that could be a great, interesting way to, uh, to connect. And, you know, um, uh, regarding writing and directing, it's, I think that they, they do, it's much more satisfying for me to direct a film that I've written than it is to, to, to direct something that I haven't written. And so just because there's just a little bit more of, uh, of, um, maybe me talking about, themes or mm-hmm. issues or things that that uh appeal to me naturally you know mm-hmm. is it that or is it that you you really know the story on such a deeper level you know what i mean like if you if you had somebody else's screenplay and you didn't really know like inside their head what they were trying to get across mm-hmm. is, that, is that what makes it harder or is it more is it is it the the topic or just that you know it on a deeper level Definitely that deeper level comes into it, meaning that, that there are choices that you can make by instinct because it's so mm-hmm. seeped in, in you. And uh, whereas with, uh, I, I think that with the channel, and I have done, you know, I have done films where I did not write the material and, um, and that can work out too. It just requires more time. It requires that extra step of learning the, the world of the writer, you know, right. uh, and, you know, that's something that, um, I think it's also good that, that the, these these types of films can really complement each other, you know, that you learn um, on each uh, project, of course, you know. So I have a question that's sort of a little, might, it might take you a second to answer it, but um, it's just something I'm really curious about. You know how some people, like for me, when I'm, um, when I'm creating writing, I see the words. I don't see the, the visualization in my head. I like just the words create like I they create the thoughts but I don't see the I don't see them visually in my head you know so if I say like a giant redwood tree I know the feeling of what a seeing a giant redwood tree means to me but I don't see it in my head whereas I have friends who like think that they say they just see everything first and then the words come for you when you're writing is it do you visualize it scene by scene as you're working on it or are you is it about the words and the feeling I don't know if you can answer that. It was really a, a very complicated mm. question. It's a good question. Uh, I, I think that it it depends, and that sometimes you, uh, it, it's it's very hev- heavily based on images, you know, uh, and um, I guess to start with the, the the last thing you said, you know, um, I never write, you know. Um, scene by scene by scene, meaning that I feel like that, that, um, like if possible, it's great to try to write the ending and to figure out the ending first and to work backwards. Um, but also, um, there's this technique actually that, um, uh, that this Japanese director, Takeshi Kitano, uh, has kind of, uh, does in his work, which is that he will, um, identify four, or five really strong images. And then his job as a writer is to find the connective tissue to make uh, those images fit together in a story. Oh, that. 
Yeah, I think it's really strong. And it's also, you know, that the, the Japanese uh, uh, language, as well as, you know, for for the Chinese, it's the same, you know, is that it's based on the pictograms, you know, and, and the fact that that um, words are formed by, uh, by by pictures, not letters, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's that that aspect, you know, um, his. Um, yeah, that, that, that's something that 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 is special. I think that, um, so you know, for me, it, yeah. When you're writing, do you write the story first, like just the essence of the story, and then go back and create the screenplay? Is that the is that the way that that's done, or do you write like so you don't do scene by scene, but do you write the story out in detail first or outline? Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, by I outline, I outline, and and uh, but that's something that I came to because I was just it was too frustrating and too time consuming to uh, just start with scene one and then uh-huh. write scene two. And, you know, it's kind of fly by the seat of your pants type, type writing, which, you know, that's a way of generating material that, mm-hmm. because in any event, you're going to go back and, and rework it. But right. what the outline gives you is it gives you just more time, you know, thinking about something before committing it to, you know, writing dialogue and things, you know, you might create this brilliant dialogue that ends up not even being in the movie because you realize that the scene isn't relevant or necessary. And and if you're outlining before that, you know, then that's a way for you to uh, identify that. And um, just, you know, it ends up being just a lot more efficient, you know, to spend a lot of time as much as possible outlining and, and then get into the story. The thing is, is that as writers, you know, we, there's that spark of inspiration and we really want to honor it. And we really want to also, you know, we feel inspired by it. And so we want to chase after the story, you know, and, and, and so that, I guess that, that, that initial enthusiasm for me, it's like, it's important to kind of, you know, keep it a little bit, um, you know, um, yeah, just, just to, to, to not sort of get carried away because I think that, 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 um, when you outline, you're actually sort of, um, it's about, um, taking it from an idea and really elaborating it into something, you know, whereas, because an idea by itself won't really get you very far, you know, um, it's, it, it ends up being about the execution of the idea and that's going to come through the, the, um, yeah, just, just how the outline works. So that's good. I like, I like knowing more about that because I, and what you said about ideas in and of themselves aren't really anything. Cause I feel like I have about 800 ideas pop up a day. We all do. We do. We do. That's, <laughs> that's very common. And, and, you know, I mean, uh, especially, you know, like, um, just walking down the street, Hey, this would make a great movie. Hey, that would make uh-huh. a great movie, you know? And, you know, um, sure it would, but it's like that idea plus, um, six or nine months of work, you know? Right. So it's not just that, that like right. you can just take, that little those molecules and that magically they they appear on screen you know and six to nine months is also extremely conservative you know it could be two years three years gosh you know that's more you know um i have this i have i'm not going to go into the detail here because i don't want to give it away but i have an idea that that i'm working on for someday something that would make a great movie i think but we'll see so i'll probably be coming back to you about that at some point please do Here's a question I do have about, um, so this might be a presumption, but I, from the outside, to, to me, it looks like um, being in the film industry is hard work. It's not just like, like we see the magic on the end when there's, you know, a movie on the screen and it's making money and everything's exciting. We see that from outside, from the outside. 
Sure. But it's my presumption that it's really hard work to get from I have an idea to it's in a theater. And I was wondering, you know, but there must be some like, so what is it that that keeps you excited and, and working on it, even though it's a really long process from A to B? Sure. Um, it's challenging. It's challenging. I um, I guess I wanted to just pick up a thread from earlier, which is that I talked about what an, what an important thing it was for me to, to go from being a watcher to being a maker, you know, of films. And, um, you know, um, that was a that was something that um, uh, it took a lot of um, a lot of working on on myself, and it, it's something that I don't hear a lot of people talking about. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'd actually like to share it with the listeners. Yeah, um, you know, um, for a long time, um, you know, I felt like I wanted to be a filmmaker, and yet I had made no films, and so. You, you go out into the world into like maybe a party situation or some some kind of a thing and people are like so what do you do and um, you know you kind of want to say I'm a filmmaker but at the same time you you so if you do say that or you say I'm learning to make films or something you know you still get that 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 thing of of maybe like uh, um, you get something from the other person and it may be also something that you're imagining from the other person is, is that maybe they're judging me because I haven't made films or they're judging me because I, you know, um, something, you know, and, and there's that. that. I totally get that. Yeah. So continue on. But I mean, I do the people say, what do you do? I say, I'm a writer, but I like, I have nothing published, but I'm a writer or that's right. Podcaster, but this isn't live yet, but that's what I'm doing. So exactly. And that's really, you know, it's, it's a very tough place to, to, to be. Um, and, uh, it's a place where you can also just become disillusioned, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know that, that for, there was a time also when, before I started making films, when I was very, uh, like, critical of other films, you know, like I would really like just be really nitpicky into the details of other films and, and, and things that I would perceive as being mistakes or something like that. And that was also kind of a way for me that that was kind of just, you know, a frustration, frustration at at not myself having, uh, made films, you know, Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, and, and, and I think that, um, what can also be challenging at that time is, is that when you, when you become a watcher and you become a really good watcher, like almost like a professional watcher, you've watched so much stuff. You also have a sense of what, um, the great stuff is, what the great films are and what they look like. And then that becomes even more daunting because you've seen these masterpieces, you know, you know, it's like if you've seen, um, uh, Leonardo da Vinci paintings, and then you want to start painting. Same example, right? Yep. Oh yes. And so, you know, um, but then there's this other thing which is really troublesome, which is uh, this voice that's saying in your head, um, do you actually have something to say? Like, what do you have to say? And what makes you think that what you have to say is of any value to other people would, um, you know, that, that kind of a thing. And as a young person, you can feel like, oh my gosh, it's true. I don't have anything to say, or, you know, I'm not sure, but, um, but maybe so, so in a way, as long as I haven't made a film, I can still be in that place of (laughs) dreaming and imagining that I'm a great filmmaker, you know, and, uh, and then just kind of hoping that it will magically kind of come to pass, you know, that like, just suddenly one day you'll wake up and you'll have made a film, even though you didn't do anything in that direction, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think that 
that working on myself involved, you know, really um, getting down to just some of those really uh, basic things about, you know, like, okay, um, you know, this is not going to happen unless I, unless I write a story and, you know, kind of, I, I had a fear of, um, of being, uh, ridiculed by by others and also by of not being accepted by others uh when i ultimately would put work out there so this work that didn't even exist i already had fear of (laughs) what it would would, um you know bring up in people you know and you know will people spit on me when i walk in the streets and you know for something that doesn't it hasn't even you know Mm -hmm. it's just not even a kernel of an idea yet you know and so uh, part of kind of growing up was was uh, figuring out how to go ahead and put something into the world, uh, and you know, uh, with all of its you know sort of flaws and imperfections, and you know, um, and then have that experience, and and you know, you make something. I guess that in a way, if I could tell myself back then. What I know now, it would be go ahead and make it, make, make a really horrible movie, you know, like make a really bad movie (laughs) because you're not going to get halfway decent unless you start with bad. So make something that's bad, you know? And so in a way, if I had had that sort of that sense of permission to make, uh, bad stuff, um, that I would have started a lot earlier, you know, and you know, um, and I, and, and so there's, then there's how you digest it, meaning that initially you don't want to see the imperfections, but then over time, you know, screening with other people, screening also with intelligent people, Mm -hmm. people who are articulate and can, can really explain to you, um, what objectively is not working in what you've done, you know, Mm -hmm. so that you can see and you can learn from it. And that's not going to always be the case, you know, there, but there are people who, um, can give you feedback in a very constructive way, you know, and who are really looking out for your interest and are looking out to help you to develop, you know, and that's Uh, what you want. I mean, like you don't want people surrounding you who are just going to say, oh, everything is perfect and great. Everything's great. Boy, you're awesome. Because if you don't get that actual real feedback of work, because everybody can improve. Everybody has work to do. And everybody, like everything that you or I create probably has some tweaking that can make it better, you know? No doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have to be willing to surround ourselves with people who will who will say those things and be authentic about it. Otherwise, we're not growing at all. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that's such a great, great advice for people though, about just starting because we look, we, we, again, just like you said, we compare ourselves to the people who have already made the greatest, some of the greatest pieces, whatever your, you know, area is, whether it's filmmaking or painting or writing or, you know, building houses, designing houses, whatever it is. If we compare ourselves to the top in that, in that genre, to begin with, that that's unfair because they didn't start there either. We always think that's where they started, but they started wherever they started and they had to work to get to where they're so great, just like we will. Correct. So let's see, I wanted to ask you one of my favorite questions before we close up for the day because this has sure. been so good. So um, right now, one of the things that I, I love hearing about is what people are curious about outside of their normal 
things that they that they do. So outside of filmmaking and writing and acting, and and maybe even Paris, outside of that, is there something that's catching your attention right now? Like an example I have is, I actually after the show want to go back and listen back and get information on this Japanese style of writing that where you look at five images that I'm really curious about that. I want to use that in my own work. So is there something that you're sort of dabbling and um, looking into right now? Maybe it's even eventually for a film, but something new that you haven't really researched before. That's calling your curiosity. Right. You know, I, I have been learning Italian and oh, um, so that'd be like your fourth language, right? Something like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I really, I, I have, um, uh, traveled quite a lot and, and I tr do try to p pick up languages wherever I go. And so, you know, um, uh, yeah, it, I, I, um, uh, I, I speak a, a lot of, a little bit of a lot of things and, but Italian, I, I, um, wanted to really learn much more fluently, um, uh, because, um, it doesn't have actually a logical reason. You know, I traveled there, um, about nine years ago, eight and a half years ago. And, um, I really was just very taken, uh, by the 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 culture the people the mm -hmm. the way of life the way of living it it you know when going there it it uh it felt to me and of course this is with the fresh eyes of a tourist who knows nothing but mm -hmm. you know um it felt to me like that they had understood something about life and something about the art of living that was different from things that i'd seen even in france you know mm -hmm. i felt that uh there was just a different um pace, you know, and a different, um, um, relationship maybe to, uh, the way that they spend their days, you know? And, and so, um, I started, um, taking Italian lessons actually with, um, uh, an Italian person, a guy living in Paris who's become a great friend. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so we meet up, and we'll do a little bit of Italian conversation and he's trying to learn English. So we do some English conversation and we go back and forth like that. And, and, um, I also have been so regularly watching Italian films now and really kind of, um, both contemporary as well as, uh, classic films and really drawing a lot of inspiration mm -hmm. on, um, from, from those, those films and just keys and to the culture, but also just, uh, just really, uh, it's such a, such a rich, um, you know, ba base of, uh, you know, the films that were being made in Italy from mm -hmm. post-World War II through, um, through the, the 1970s. It's really a very, very strong, um, period of films. There are lots and lots of classic films. So, you know, to be able to, to do that, that's, I, I believe ultimately that although I, I kind of started it because, um, it felt like a calling and, and it was something that, you know, it came out of my journaling actually, you know, is that I was journaling and, and, you know, sort of that idea popped up of, you know, like, what would it be like to, to really, uh, learn Italian, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I visited there in 07 and then it was early 2011 that I got, got in mind that I wanted to, uh, um, to, to learn Italian. And so, you know, um, now it's just, um, I, I think that I'm going to ultimately make a film there and I don't know what that looks like, what that will be, but, um, but it's been really just beautiful the way that it's kind of revealed itself, uh, slowly over time. Those are my favorite curiosities. Exactly. Where you 
where you get an inkling of something that you want to do and you don't really know what the end, what the end game is, like what it's leading you to, but you know that each step that you follow, you know, each breadcrumb that you pick up along the way is, is leading you to something that you can't see. And this is, you know, I've probably said it before on other recordings, but this is exactly what the podcast is. I don't know what this is about, but it, it was, I had to keep following the steps. I had to learn crazy things like, all these little technology pieces to get to this point of being able to have this conversation. I had to learn about um, what was what was exciting on podcasts. I had to learn about like so many little things and do my own growth until I got to doing this. But I know I have this like very strong belief that there's something on the other side of this that it's leading me to. And that's what I just love. That was like the perfect answer, by the way. I think that oh, was good. the perfect answer. I love that because first of all, I have a huge passion for Italy. I've never been there, but it's it's been my calling since I was probably about, I don't know, maybe 10 because I grew up in a, a medium-sized city in Wisconsin where there was a huge Italian population. I worked for an Italian bakery, fascinated oh. by how Everybody could switch back and forth between Italian and English while they were yelling out what to bring up to the front of the bakery. And um, just the whole the whole culture, the food grew up in a lot of pizza, a lot of great Italian bread. I think we have the best pizza in the entire state. Uh, it's in Kenosha. And so I love that, that that was the answer and that that's what's calling you. So that was a perfect answer. Seriously. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> okay, I don't know how to wrap on that. So that, I think we've covered every possible inch of how you found your way to Paris to making films and what lights you up, which was so interesting. I can't thank you enough for being with me today. It's my pleasure, Jane. All right. Well, I will um, probably be back to learn more about this when you make that film in Italy. We'll have to do this again. Does that sound fair? That sounds like a plan. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll talk with you soon. Perfect. Thank you, Jane. Bye. Bye-bye. I'll give you a little insight into glistening particles. At the beginning, I was recording a lot of interviews in preparation for launching the show. So some of these I'm coming back to a little bit later, like this one with Kartik. I think we recorded it about six weeks ago, and now I'm coming back to prepare it to put up on the website. And what amazed me is how fun it is to come back and really hear the glistening particle of the conversation because I was I was in it when we did it but to come back and hear it again is kind of new and exciting to be honest with you and in this one what I really took away from the conversation with him was the whole idea of taking action you know we can dream in our heads of something we really want to do we can see it we can hold it in our minds we can look at it from all sides but it's really nothing until we start taking action on it and taking steps, kind of like this for me. Uh, glistening particles was an idea for a while, and then I started taking steps. And it might be really bad. Some episodes might not be great. Maybe the production needs to be better. Maybe there's a lot of room for improvement, which is the most awesome part, because really, that's what keeps it fun. So if you have one of those ideas in your mind that you think about, that you go back to, that keeps calling you, I hope you were inspired by Kartik's message to go out and take action. Thanks for listening. 